Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we examined the February 11, 2021 pretrial hearing where Kenosha, Wisconsin Circuit Court Judge Bruce Schroeder denied a prosecution motion to raise Kyle Rittenhouse's bail. Today's episode examines the first part of a pretrial hearing regarding the admissibility of evidence that could be damaging to the defense. In the September 17, 2021 proceeding, conducted via video conference, lead prosecutor Thomas Binger asked Judge Bruce Schroeder to allow three pieces of evidence at trial. One, that Kyle Rittenhouse previously assaulted a female. Two, that he had mused about shooting suspected shoplifters with his semi-automatic weapon. And three, that Rittenhouse associated with the Proud Boys. We will begin our examination of this pretrial hearing right after the break. 
the defendant's state of mind, both on the uh, night in question and also on these preceding events of June 1st and August 10th, which is the date of the other uh, motion or the events of the other motion. The August 10th incident to which Binger refers was a moment captured on video in which Kyle Rittenhouse observes people that he assumes to be looters leaving a CVS store with bags of goods and says, quote, bro, I wish I had my fucking AR. I'd start shooting rounds at them, end quote. The prosecution wants this video admitted as mens rea evidence as well. Um, and I believe that these motions help the jury to understand the defendant's state of mind. Um, the first motion that you've discussed, Judge, uh, has two prongs to it. One is with regard to that June 1st fight. That is a fight uh, which has been captured on video. It is a incident in which uh, it's my understanding that the defendant's sister uh, got into a physical altercation with another female. This was essentially a one-on-one -on -one fight, somewhat of a consensual fight, both of them interested in assaulting one another. But in the midst of that, Mr. Rittenhouse intervenes and begins to add on uh, to what his sister is doing to this other female uh, by uh, assaulting uh, that second female. Um, and I think that that goes to the defendant's state of mind in this case because it shows that his uh, understanding of self-defense, his uh, understanding of the need for self-defense is a certain way, uh, and I think it's an improper or an, and unjustified uh, use of it. I also think it goes to um, what I will posit will be a strong theory of the state's case here, which is the defendant is essentially a teenage vigilante involving himself in things that don't concern him. And we have a common theme here, both with regard to this incident and the August 10th incident that's the subject of our uh, second other acts motion. The defendant throwing himself into situations that don't concern him, that he has no complete knowledge of, that no one asked him to be involved in, uh, and using force or threatening to use force uh, in an unjustified, illegal, unwarranted manner. Uh, so I think with regard to this other acts motion, that June 1st incident uh, illuminates the truth for the jury. It illuminates the defendant's state of mind. And the court, the jury is going to have to consider that state of mind when it makes its determination here in this case. Next, Binger moves on to Rittenhouse's alleged association with the Proud Boys. The second part of that other act's motion is with regard to the uh, incident after a court appearance in January, where the defendant goes to a bar in Racine and uh, is serenaded by members of the Proud Boys. Now, we have since learned that those individuals that were serenading the defendant consist of the higher, highest echelon of the Wisconsin Proud Boys chapter, including their leader, uh, their current sergeant at arms, their former sergeant at arms, and other high-ranking members of that organization. This was not a random crossing of paths here in a random bar at a random time where they just happen upon one another. Uh, this was something that was uh, coordinated. This is something where uh, Mr. Rittenhouse uh, intended to be there. These other individuals intended to be there. Uh, and the Proud Boys organization is relevant to this case because we have to put the incident uh, of August 25th in context. This was not a festival in the park uh, where somebody suddenly pulled out a gun and started randomly shooting. Most everyone that was there on the streets of Kenosha on August 25th was there because of their beliefs one way or another with regard to the shooting of Jacob Blake. And I don't need to uh, argue one side or the other. The court does not need to make a determination one side or the other. 
But we can't ignore the fact that people were drawn to the streets of Kenosha that night because of a response to the shooting of Jacob Blake. There were some out there that believed that that shooting was justified. Some felt it was unjustified. There were other chaos tourists like the defendant who were drawn like a moth to the flame to our community. We've seen folks that have committed crimes under the cover of that chaos, burglaries and looting and arson. The defendant wasn't one of those people, but this was the type of person that was drawn to our community. The defendant, I believe, uh, was drawn to this incident because of his beliefs, which are consistent with those of the Proud Boys. And I believe that those beliefs include a desire to use violence to support that philosophy. The Proud Boys are a well-known national organization that takes pride in using violence to achieve their means that takes pride in showing up at rallies and protests by what they consider to be their opposition, which can be loosely considered to be Black Lives Matter or Antifa or whatever you want to call them, and using violence to disrupt those protests. The defendant came to our community. He's not a resident. He's underage. He's out after curfew. He's armed with an illegal weapon. Why? That is the question. His state of mind, his intent that night is a crucial issue in this case. The defense will no doubt try and portray the defendant as an altruistic, young, idealistic individual who was here to try and help our community, protect a business, clean up graffiti, use his medical supplies to help people in need, they will try and show his state of mind as being a positive, helping one. The state is entitled to introduce evidence that further illuminates his state of mind for the jury. And the jury will ultimately make the decision as to his intent, his motives, his state of mind, what he personally believed at the time of these shootings, and they will introduce their reasonable impressions as our community members as to what a reasonable person would do in those circumstances. So those are the questions the jury is going to be asked. I believe a jury's uh, trial is about the truth. I believe that these issues go to the truth of the matter. The jury can be advised as to how to consider the weight of this evidence. The jury can make its determination as to the weight and the relevance, uh, the the importance or the pertinence of this in terms of whether it's really a true description of the defendant's state of mind or whether the other side uh, portraying him in a different light is the true portrait of his state of mind. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. After Prosecutor Binger concludes his argument, defense attorney Corey Chirafaisi begins his rebuttal. He starts by challenging the relevance of the assault allegations against Kyle Rittenhouse. So the state is asking you or inferring that 
they're able to ascertain Mr. Rittenhouse's state of mind two and a half months prior to the incident. So his state of mind on June 1st and his actions on June 1st somehow play a role in his state of mind on August 25th. This is, as an officer of the court, this is what I'm telling you. Mr. Rittenhouse will, it will not be debated that this action was intentional and he will raise the issue regarding self-defense. When we're looking at the purpose of other acts, intent is one purpose and it's a proper purpose. However, intent is normally admitted if it undermines an innocent explanation for the person's behavior. That is not happening here. There is no innocent explanation. There's an explanation, but he fired the firearm intentionally. As it relates to motive, if they are trying to establish that he had some motive two and a half months before teenagers getting into a fist fight, does that make it more or less probable? Is it a fact of consequence that he was in a fight two and a half months earlier that he did not act in self-defense in this case? Does that make that more or less probable? The answer is it does not. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not it makes it more or less probable that he acted in self-defense. The entirety of this is captured on video. The, the only issue in this case is going to be the reasonableness of those actions as they're determined subjectively and then objectively from a reasonable person in his position. So they describe him as being somebody who comes to Kenosha looking for trouble, even though they don't mention he works in Kenosha, he works in Pleasant Prairie, and that his father lives in Kenosha. And if we have reached the position where teenagers getting into fistfights makes it more probable that a teenager then uh, used a firearm in self-defense, when we have the self-defense on tape, we have the case on tape, I would submit to you it adds nothing to that determination as to whether or not his actions were or were not in self-defense and whether they were or were not reasonable under the circumstances. Chirafaisi then addresses another prosecution motion by challenging the assertion that Kyle Rittenhouse has some sort of relationship with the Proud Boys. As it relates to the Proud Boys, I mentioned this in the, in the brief and Mr. Binger has ignored it. Mr. Binger what? Binger has ignored it. For this to be considered by you, there must be evidence by a preponderance that on August 25th, 2020, Kyle Rittenhouse was either a member of the Proud Boys or had loyalties to that, to that group. It is no different than you would make a determination if there was, for example, somebody wanted to introduce evidence of a gang membership. I'm telling you as an officer of the court, we have downloaded Mr. Rittenhouse's cellular phone. We have an expert review that phone. That expert has done an analysis to try to determine if there is anything on that phone related to Proud Boys, militia, white nationalists, Boogaloo Boys, KKK, three percenters, any type of hate group that you might consider. And the finding was the extraction does not establish that the user belonged to or even had any interest in any malicious style organization. Mr. Binger has provided you no information whatsoever that on the day in question, August 25th, 
that Kyle Rittenhouse had any affiliation with that group at all. But otherwise, um, I believe the evidence is not relevant, uh, should not be admitted. The first one is two and a half months before. Second one is four months after. And I don't think it, it, it would assist the jury in any way in this case in making that determination. And I would ask that you deny the motion. Judge Schroeder rules quickly on the prosecution motions. He appears to combine both the June 1st and the August 10th incidents together as part of the same prior acts motion and the Proud Boys incident as part of a second motion. Well, I'll tell you, uh, with respect to uh, uh, both of these uh, requests, I, I think if I admitted either of these, I'd get reversed. That's the bottom line. I think that uh, the first one, the incident involving uh, the sister, uh, this is clear in my estimation. It's a propensity evidence. Uh, it's a, it's a, an opportunity to suggest to the jurors that he's acted on uh, in a violent way on other occasions, and therefore he acted in a violent way on this occasion. There's no connection between these two events at all, for sure. So that request is denied. The the Proud Boys uh, uh, evidence. Um, you know, I, I, at this point, I don't know, and perhaps you have other information which. I don't know about, but um, I don't know whether there was a prearrangement to meet these people or if there was an awareness of who these people were. I have to tell you, I never heard of the Proud Boys before this case. Um, and you cited a Seattle newspaper, and I'm not going to rely on a newspaper account about what an organization is, whether they're a hate-inspired group or uh, or whatever they may be. There's uh, such a spectrum of groups in this country, and it uh, seems to be more every day. But uh, And I... I, I I don't think it's for the courts, except in the most appropriate circumstances, to be making determinations, and certainly not on the basis of an article in a newspaper in Seattle, about what an organization is. But um, assuming that they, these people are a known group that is uh, inclined towards violence, um, and uh, particularly violence of a particular type again, directed against particular people, there's evidence that's been offered to me that this was anything other than a happenstance occurrence. And even if that isn't true, uh, whether what the, the scope of the defendant's understanding was, and obviously un, un, this, it, it is one, an unfortunate fact that this case has become um, a surrogate for a, a lot of emotional reaction that has nothing to do or little to do or nothing to do with the issues in the case. But if uh, this uh, man is accused of these crimes, which could send him to prison for life, and he encounters some people who embrace him and start to, can we take pictures with you and, and somehow make him feel better about himself? Um, and he reacts uh, by smiling with them and taking some pictures. Uh, I, I, for me to let that in as evidence of a motive that existed four months earlier, can't see it. Absolutely not. Again, I would expect to be reversed if I did that. Prosecutor Binger responds to the judge's assessment of Rittenhouse's meeting with the Proud Boys. Uh, but two things. First of all, um, this was not a happenstance uh, random meeting. In fact, according to a New Yorker article, uh, which interviewed various... Hold on. But, but they interviewed various people involved, and including members of the Rittenhouse uh, family and their supporters. The defendant went to Miami on, I think, January 12th of this year and was picked up at the airport by the president of the National Proud Boys organization, who took him out to lunch. That was intentional. So 
this was not, this is consistent. This is a pattern. This is not a random meeting at Pudgy's Bar and Racine. This was January 12th. So this was nine days or eight days after the incident at Pudgy's Bar and Racine. The defendants in Miami picked up at the airport by the the head of the National Proud Boys organization. So I submit to you, you know, the question the defense asks is what's the proof that he's affiliated with this organization? This is the proof. He goes out for after after court, drives up to Racine and meets them at a bar, goes to Miami, is picked up at the airport and has lunch with the national head of that. So this is the evidence of the affiliation. Judge Schroeder asks Binger to address the relevance of Kyle Rittenhouse's activities following his arrest to the crimes he is alleged to have committed. What does that mean about October, uh, excuse me, August 25th of last year? And, and, the, and the jury can make a decision on that, Your Honor. I, I believe that it is consistent with the Proud Boys uh, mantra, their philosophy of going to these types of protests armed with the intent of causing violence. And I think we, we will be prepared to introduce testimony from someone who is affiliated with the Proud Boys and will tell the jury about their philosophy, will tell the jury what sort of violent activities they do at these incidents. So again, I understand the court doesn't want to rely on a Seattle newspaper article. We will have a witness who will tell the jury exactly what the Proud Boys is about, exactly what they try and do, exactly what their philosophy is. We'll identify the people in these meetings. Okay, so I understand the court may believe that because of the prejudicial nature of this, we're not going to introduce the evidence. But I want to button down those two issues. This was not a random uh, chance meeting at Pudgy's uh, uh, pub because of the incident in Miami. And second of all, we will introduce evidence about the Proud Boys, far more than a newspaper article. So those issues, we can we can surmount those obstacles to the court's ruling, if, if that's and, what the court is, is yeah, concerned about. All right, let's assume you're bringing in the evidence about the Proud Boys being in Kenosha on the day in question and uh, that they're here for their purposes. Is there any suggestion that they were connected in any way with the accused? On the date of August 25th, I will acknowledge that I, I'm not going to be able to prove that that was a coordinated thing between the defendant and the Proud Boys that night. However, I believe there's a strong inference based on the fact that after court in January, he goes out to Pudgies, goes down to January or Miami later that month and meets with not only the head of the Wisconsin Proud Boys, but the head of the National Proud Boys. I think there's an inference to be drawn from that. Now, the jury can be instructed what weight to give it, but the defendant's actions of coming into our community illegally after curfew with a gun at the time of a protest is entirely consistent with what the Proud Boys make it their job to do. Schroeder pushes back on what he perceives as the tenuous connections that Binger makes. This uh, type of evidence is, is very dangerous. I, I, you make some points that might be legitimate. I, I, I certainly would keep the door open if you can show that there's any connection between the defendant on the day in question and this organization. But as I said before, if this organization embraces the defendant after the fact, because he's lionized because of his behavior, uh, that is not something that the jury can make anything out of that would be lawful. So uh, I, as they say, I'll keep the door open a small amount if you've got some evidence to suggest that there was some prior knowledge or awareness, but uh, otherwise uh, I think the evidence would be poisoned and it would not be allowed. And so, while Judge Schroeder agrees to keep the door open if Binger can show a connection between the Proud Boys and Kyle Rittenhouse's actions on August 25th, he denies both of the state's motions. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. 
Join us next time as we continue our examination of this September 17th hearing and shift our focus to the motions filed by the defense in the case. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Mackenzie Moser. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik. It was edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.